I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. As ever, your host, Matt Dixon. And this one today, well, I'm excited for it. It is a conversation with an athlete that many would be so foolish to label an everyday athlete. But in my mind, it's someone that's an absolute high performer in life with an incredibly interesting life journey. Today, folks, fasten your seatbelt for a belter of a conversation with Purple Patch athlete Heather Graham. We're going to go down the murky world of dog sledding bicycle time trials in Alaska, gambling on the trains of New York City, the journey through law school, and some incredibly important perspective on how sport accelerates life, navigating the turbulence of yes, this year, 2020, and setting the lens on great performance globally. I tell you this, leadership doesn't need to arrive from she with the loudest voice. And today, we bring you a discussion that will help you, yes, you, perform in all aspects, perform in sport, perform in work, perform in health, but most importantly, life. Today, we head to Kelly's hometown, Helena, Montana, but also the home of Heather Graham. And before we dive in, guys, it's a cracker. You want to stay tuned through this. But before we dive in, let's do the squatty update. Yes, the squatty update this week, we are charting the roadmap ahead. A central guiding mindset or saying that we have a purple patch is now rather unfortunate. Evolve or die. Of course, yes, we don't say that very much right now in these turbulent times, but the essence behind it remains strong. We must, as individuals and collectively, always seek to grow and to learn And well, 2020, yes, the year that is, has so far delivered massive challenge to us all. But it is from that challenge that so much growth has been forced. And you know what? We continue to grow. And from a broad squad approach, we've decided to take action out of everything that's happened to grow the product, to grow the way that we position our coaching and training and education. And so what I thought I'd do this week is just share, give you a little snippet behind the door of the pieces of growth coming over the next month or so with the Purple Patch Squad program. The first is we've radically simplified our training layout. And so every week, our training methodology can, because ultimately it's multi-sport, can be complex but it's really important to aim to make the prescription as simple and as actionable as possible. And so we've been hard at work and have come up with a completely refreshed layout and a lens that clearly helps the athlete execute the training as intended, makes it infinitely easier to manage their training, all while doing so within the turbulence of this crazy time. I think that the training is going to become just that little bit more actionable, easy to execute, 
and less of a cognitive load. Goodness me, we don't need more cognitive load right now. The second, we got creative. Yes, little us, we really got creative because we had to face the reality. This is it. This is what's happening. It's not looking good. So you know what? Let's maximize within this context. And we're charting a whole path ahead for the rest of 2020 in order to pursue optimal performance. We're creating challenges and we are going on a mission to enhance performance across the board. Mission, purpose, accomplishment. We are committed to not falling into random because ultimately, look, we can sit here right now as we creep into the back half of 2020 and just call it a write-off, a washout, or we step up and we chart a path to the back half of 2020 that drives everyone towards excellence. And you know what? It might not surprise you. We're choosing the latter. Challenges, virtual racing, community, individual accomplishment, doing it together. This is going to be the purpose. Lots more coming on that, troops. But I am not letting anyone, any purple patch athlete, go out into the wilderness we don't want to be tumbleweed through our performance. We want to be driven and aiming towards something. And finally, we're making a little investment. We are investing in live coaching. If we can't run huge swim squats or in-person training effectively, let's maximize what we can do remotely. And ironically, having athletes from England, Kansas, Ecuador, New York, Dubai, and of course, San Francisco, and well beyond, all training together live, and all truly being coached through these sessions, has ended up, we've realized, being really pretty powerful. You can hear Heather today talk about Holy Day in our conversation, but it all stemmed from this lens of growth. Now, there are many more, but these are the highlights. Simplify the training and make it accessible. Get creative and set the mission and path for all of our athletes and invest in live coaching. But the truth is, this is less about what Purple Patch has done. It's more about what Purple Patch athletes have done. Because every athlete also had a decision to make. They could write off 2020 and give up. Or they could double down. And you know what? The vast majority took the latter path. Double down. Double down on themselves, on their performance, and on their sporting journey. Take the turbulence and adversity and leverage for personal growth. Lean into each other. Take on the challenge together. Find purpose and meaning behind the training. This is why we don't see purple patch athletes as triathletes or runners or cyclists. We don't see purple patch athletes as pros or amateurs or fitness enthusiasts. All we see is a collection of high performers in life who are bound together by a common thread to improve. 2020 has bought us shit. We collectively have the mission to convert that to gold. I hope that you are going to take your same approach on your journey. Oh, and we'd love to have you join us, of course. Purplepatchfitness.com slash squad. Head there. You can find out all about it. Now, Barry, let's celebrate a little. No, I'm ruffling your feathers. We're going to bypass word of the week this week, Bazza. Sorry, mate. You're going quiet. Troops, 
we are going right into Heather here because it is time for this week's Meat and Potatoes. All right, guys, the Meat and Potatoes. And today we're bringing you a story of an athlete and of life adaptation. And there's going to be lots of lessons that I think all of us can draw from this amazing woman, Heather Graham, when we navigate our chapter of what is 2020. Now, based in a special town to me in my heart, Helena, Montana, Heather spent 100,000 miles on a plane last year as a lead counsel of a publicly traded public utility and has a journey that includes going through Stanford University, field hockey, soccer, time trial championships in Alaska, dog sledding, racing, a wild traveling attorney. Goodness me. But I tell you, when you listen to our chat today, if you want to set your path for the rest of 2020, you could do a lot worse than draw from the lessons and perspective of Heather. Heather, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Matt. Um, I, it's a real pleasure to be part of Purple Patch, believe me. Well, I, I want to start by saying thank you, because uh, the earlier this morning when I was running down the trails of Helena, Montana, I happened to know where you live after a very nice evening interrupted by a thunderstorm on your deck last night. But you looked out of your window and you saw a bear running down your road that ran looking like a donkey dipped in cement with an English accent who looked rather parched. And you came to my rescue. <laughs> so thank you very much. Uh, no, Matt, you actually look pretty good. You did not look anything like what you described. Happy well, to wait. happy to uh, be the aid station after you're in the middle of your 20 something plus mile. I think you showed up at mile 22 and you needed some uh, some water. Happy it to was, help. Uh, I'm, I'm glad I'm sitting down this afternoon, but uh, <laughs> all good. So, so, so let's dive in. And, and as I said, thank you for, for joining. With all of the guests, I think it's important for listeners to understand you, the guest. But, but in your case, this might actually take a while because the fabric of your life story is what I would describe as broad and deep. So let's dive in. And why don't we start with the basics, as we always do, Give us a, a little bit of an insight of Heather growing up. Well, um, this might take a little while because I'm 65. And so when you're 65, I, I suppose you have more to say when, than when you're 25. But um, I grew up in a town called Westport, uh, Connecticut, right on Long Island Sound, about 60 miles outside of New York City. Uh, I had two parents uh, who uh, got divorced when I was about 19. Uh, and then I had two older brothers. One was quite a bit older and had left the house by the time I was growing up, although we became close as adults later on. Uh, but our middle brother, who was five, I was the youngest. Um, our other brother was five years older than me. Uh, and he had, unfortunately, very serious mental health issues. He was a paranoid schizophrenic. Uh, he was, his behavior was very unpredictable. He was occasionally violent. Uh, in addition, my father was an alcoholic. So I would say growing up was uh, a challenge, to say the least, very difficult even to get my homework done. So what I take from that is I have a very keen appreciation for the importance of mental health. 
I really believe in the value of having things in your life that give you joy and happiness. I believe in uh, that I have a greater sense of empathy, perhaps, than I might otherwise have had I not had that upbringing. Uh, and I think I have, uh, um, I'm quite sure I have great, greater personal resilience than I would otherwise have. So uh, that's, that was what growing up was like. And I left when I was 18, and that was that. So I don't want any of the listeners to think, Heather Graham, you already mentioned Stanford, Westport, Connecticut, you know, nice bedroom community of New York City. Somehow she's this rich, wealthy person who never had a challenge in her life. Trust me. Uh, and probably to top it off, there, were, there was always financial um, uncertainty. My father had a small insurance business in New York City. It was just he and a part-time secretary. And uh, some of our food money from time to time would come home from his gambling on the train between Westport and New York City and back. Wow, goodness me. <laughs> uh, well, that, that, I mean, that, that gives us such a grounding. And, uh, and I obviously know that the, the journey, as the listeners are just about to found out, but I think, I think that's really critical. Thank you, thank you so much for sharing. I, I guess let's leap then to a question that I have that I think is, is interesting within that environment, within Connecticut, what was your relationship with sports growing up you know, through, through sort of high school? Did you get to do sports? Did you get to participate? I did. And that was one of the great things, one of the many great things I would say about that town. Uh, I, I swam on the YMCA swim team in elementary school for a few years. I had lots of girls sports in junior high. Uh, and then when I went on to high school, I was really lucky because the, one of the PE teachers was a woman who really believed in women's athletics. And she was, a, you know, a taskmaster. She was stern. She insisted on her players being fit. And if you wanted her respect, you just had to stand straighter and stay in shape and, uh, you know, show up, show up on time and show up seriously. She was the field hockey coach. She was the track and field coach. I played field hockey for four years, very seriously. I was captain of the team my senior year and, in fact, went on and played some collegiate field hockey. I also played club field hockey, and I loved the sport. I also did track and field, but only because she was the coach. She needed someone who could get a fourth or a fifth in a given event. I would never get a first or a second or a third, trust me, in any event in track and field. Uh, and I'm too short to do the hurdles or the high jump. But, you know, I, I could throw a shot put and get, I mean, there weren't many, <clears throat> weren't many people doing that, but I could, I could get a fourth or a fifth. I could, okay, I could do the mile. I could do the 800, 400, 220, not the 100. Um, but I would just, it kept me fit. And, and uh, I think I developed a lot of, I understood how important athletics was to me through those years. Well, where you, where you sort of, what you shared with your, your family situation, it really sounds like athletics created this, this amazing school of learning in many ways, yeah, around multiple sort of aspects of life. And it, and it, it really comes out there of the power of, of sometimes a single individual to to really sort of lift a person up and, and mentorship being so, so important, eh? Yeah, and, and you know, discipline, athletic discipline, personal discipline, happiness, uh, all of those things came out of sports. And I certainly didn't, you know, appreciate all of those lessons at the time. But when I think about my sports journey, I can see that that was absolutely instrumental. So tell us about your journey from East Coast to West Coast, because you you went to 
Stanford for undergrad. So despite the adversity of, of growing up, you, you obviously well at school. So t- tell me about that a little bit. Uh, I would say I did well enough at school. Maybe my sports helped carry me there. Uh, the What I loved about Stanford is, is and what appealed to me about it, it, at least in part, was it had a major called human biology and it's interdisciplinary in approach. And it was just instinct on my part. But I always looked at the lens of problems through multiple disciplines because most complicated problems require ver- you know varying disciplines to come up with the best solution and and so in human biology you had to take a one year of hardcore science then you could branch out if you wanted to continue hardcore science you could go pre-med uh you could go genetics or you could go into the social sciences you could go into economics healthcare policy environmental policy but the bottom the the premise of the program is Science, you have to have some appreciation and understanding of science and then go on and develop other skills, complementary skills, and hopefully for any complicated science problem, there are people who have the right educational, um, you know, experiences and expertise to help solve them. And I just constantly think of how the current pandemic is such a great example of why the human biology program is so awesome because solving the pandemic is going to require so I mean every discipline you can think of, whether it's policy, whether medicine, public health, economics, it, it's all in there and it's all required. Yeah, it's I mean, with, with the unfortunate amount of dogmatic sort of lens around things that there, there is no single solution to any part of this pandemic. Huh? I mean, you couldn't come up with a better analogy of, uh, of application of that in, in so many ways. It's, it's incredible. So you navigated through Stanford. You, you played some field hockey at Stanford. Is that right? I, I did. I played some, not very much. And, and the main reason was, you know, at that point, um, when I was around age 20, you know, as I said, my parents had gotten divorced. You know, they had health issues. They had very difficult lives at that point. And I just felt it was my responsibility to take care of myself. And I didn't want to ask them for any financial help. So, and so I ended up paying it in full my last year and part of other years through summer jobs and through working. And so my senior year, I worked four different jobs and went to school full-time and uh, was very happy to graduate. Wow. Yeah, fantastic. And and out of that very easy, luxurious transition through school, you you went back East Coast, yeah? I did. I, I moved to Washington, D.C. because what I really loved more than anything was health and environmental policy. So I had the good fortune to work for almost three years um, for two different members of Congress and for the second member of Congress, I actually got to con- to coordinate a hearing, call witness, I mean, organize witnesses and the like, and it was on a health issue. And I absolutely loved that work, but I knew in order to continue it, I had to have a law degree. If you're going to write laws, you need to have mm-hmm. gone to law school. And so the entire thrust of my going to law school was to get a law degree and go right back to Washington, D.C., because I really thought that good laws were important and had an, a very important global uh, impact. So that was yeah. the goal. And 
as you as you sort of went back there, I'm I'm curious. I'm curious on the journey along this journey. We've now got gone to Stanford, got, gone through what's incredibly hard to DC. Now in law school, when did when did endurance sports come into the game? Uh, when when did I guess uh, adult sports as well? Maybe you can broaden it out to that. Well, when I was living in Washington DC, I started playing soccer. Um, my oldest brother had was living in DC. He was a soccer fanatic. He coached a semi-professional team and uh, and got me involved in soccer immediately. And there's a very good uh, relationship between field hockey and soccer. Same number of players, same positioning, same strategies. So other than learning to kick the ball, um, it, it, it was a very easy transfer. So I played soccer every weekend with the same team for three years. And, you know, in terms of fun, it was all about soccer. Soccer was great. And that actually, in retrospect, formed the basis of endurance sports because when I graduated from law school, uh, we moved to Anchorage and I continued to play soccer and immediately blew my knee out. And so part of my rehab was riding an indoor bike, riding a wind trainer. And a friend of mine recommended, given all of the amount of time I was spending on my bike, that I take that I try a bicycle race. And then that that was the beginning of endurance sports for me. Okay, you, you got some. Uh, I need to pause here as well because you you threw it in, and uh, and uh, I, I think we should catch people up. Is I finished with uh, with Oregon. I've got my law degree, and I transfer to Austin, Texas, or Kansas, or Chicago, but no Alaska. What what was what was the appeal of going up there? <laughs> not too many people just like, yep, I'm heading to Alaska. What what, what was the journey up there? So well. When I was at Stanford, during the summers, I got I was lucky to get a job teaching swimming, water safety, and first aid in rural Aleut and Eskimo villages. No swimming pools. So another person my age who was part of the program and I would get on a little bush plane, a four-seater in Anchorage, and fly for four or five hours, six hours, and we get dropped off on a gravel strip with boxes of pilot bread, cornflakes, and evaporated milk. And have to find a place to live, start a swimming program, a first aid program, water safety. And uh, at that time in the 70s, late 70s, the elders in these villages didn't speak English. They spoke Aleut or they spoke Yupik. Uh, and there wasn't a culture of swimming for obvious reasons. The water is way too cold. The flip sure. side is fishing is, the, is how people feed themselves. And people fall out of boats and they die. So that's actually the state of Alaska funded this program for years. So um, it was a great adventure. Um, we find a place to live. People were generous. They'd say, sure, you know, the jail's open. Or there's an, a, a, an empty, large, barrel-like structure over there. And that's where I'd live for a month in various villages, those sorts of things. So I, I, loved, this. I loved the beauty, the outdoor adventure, the challenges. And always in my heart wanted to go back. So uh, I married my husband. My, I met my husband in law school, fellow classmate. And we, I won't say, I will say this was not his first choice of a place to live. But we, uh, we, we went up, we, the day after we graduated, we got in our car and we drove to Alaska. Wow. And then, and it was up there that you, you really became the bike racer as well. Yeah. So there was, uh, that was that. So tell me a little bit about that. Well, you know, 
there's some phenomenal athletes in Anchorage. And at the time, the director of the Arctic Bicycle Club, which was the road racing time trial criterium club, was a woman named Christy Ingram Haig. Her brother is Steve Haig, the Olympic cyclist. Mm-hmm. Christy and her sister are both velodrome champions, downhill ski champions. And Christy was very helpful to me. And and so she was the one who, who said after a year, um, you, you need, if you're going to get better, you need to go to the Olympic Training Center. And by the way, you need to race as a man. So because there weren't that many women racing. And so to improve, first I raced with the men and they were happy to give me a lead out for example, in any given race, so everybody was competing for points, but I was still a woman, but I didn't want them giving me lead outs. I wanted the challenge. And um, so I ended up registering as a man and they would not give me a lead out. And uh, that was fine. I didn't want them to. Um, so I raced all around Alaska and I was the, uh, I, you know, won the state time trial and road racing championships. And then I went to the Olympic Training Center for three weeks, which was a huge, huge change. Um, and then I ended up taking a leave of absence from the job I had at the time and racing on the U.S. Women's Circuit. That was 1987. Wow. And then I did the Olympic trials in 88. Well, fantastic. And and, and I guess after, as you sort of navigated through cycling, what, what about sports sort of after 88? Um, well, we had children, 1991, 1993. And, uh, you know, the, as anybody who has small children knows life is extremely chaotic when you have little kids and two working adults, et cetera. Uh, but having said all that, um, both my husband and I loved the culture of sled dog racing and loved the history of it. And we love dogs. So we uh, ended up um, becoming sled dog racers and our daughters raced when they were, their first races were at ages four and six. And uh, I, my husband did most of the training, uh, but I raced. And so for years, we traveled all around the state racing. And, uh, uh, you know, my daughters were our championship mushers. They, and we ended up having 31 dogs, and they're all like pets. And so we, you know, the dogs, it, it, it's all about the bond you have with the dog. It's not about the speed. Uh, the speed is important when you're in a race but the core of it is your relationship with your dog team. And we wanted our daughters to be in charge of their dogs and to know them. So that's why we had so many dogs and they did their homework in the barn. And, um, you know, I was lucky. Uh, I ended up racing in the international women's world championship sled dog race and lived to tell about it. I had to race more dogs in that race than I'd ever had in front of me. And they're powerful and strong. And, um, that was an amazing experience. Uh, but, that's uh, we did that for years and years. I want to get into triathlon. We've um, we've gone through uh, uh, quite a bit of your journey, so let let let's just finish up with triathlon, and then we're gonna we're gonna uh, navigate to Montana, as it were. But um, tell me about triathlon quickly. Well, I actually did two or three triathlons in the early eighties in uh, in Anchorage, uh, sprint triathlons and, uh, uh, you know, another time we can talk about all of the mistakes you can make in your first tri- couple triathlons, but that, that really was never, uh, I never pursued triathlons. It was just fun because it was another way to bicycle race. Uh, but when I moved to Montana, uh, I moved here in 2010 and, uh, my, a friend of mine was very involved in triathlons. And so I st- 
I did five sprint triathlons in 2012. And I think my journey is like so many. You, After you've done a number of sprint triathlons, then you're looking forward to what's next. And the next step, of course, is the Olympic distance. So I did a few Olympics and realized there wasn't much difference in the swim portion of the Olympic versus the half Ironman. And I knew uh, with training, I could do the bike portion of the half Ironman. And so why not? Uh, so I did that. And then the, the big picture is ultimately, um, I also did one Ironman, Ironman Arizona in 2016. But I ended up, um, I traveled a lot, I raced a lot and, and, you know, got to, I was lucky, I was able to race in lots of national championships. I raced in USAT, uh, national championships in Milwaukee, but I um, did a number of halves and ended up finishing second in the 70.3 Arizona, which qualified me for the 2016 half uh, half Ironman championships in Malulaba, Australia. So I, I was able to race there. Then I, I made lots of mistakes uh, and can talk about those sometime. But the reality is I took it very seriously from 2012 to, well, uh, well I had took a break in 2018. But what I also started to do is do what are called aqua bike races. And they're hor- it's a horrible name because it sounds like you have a motorbike in, a, in the water. But it's a swim-bike combination. And the International Triathlon Union has a multi-sport world championships. And so you, I qualified in 2017 for the multi-sport worlds in Denmark. And it was a half Ironman distance swim, half Ironman distance bike. And the great thing is if, if uh, in your heart, you're a bicycle racer, this is the perfect combination because you can rip it on the bike and you don't have to worry about that silly run. You don't have to hold anything back. So I really enjoyed that. I came in fourth in the world in that. And that was so totally satisfying. Uh, and I will also say, both when I went to Australia and when I went to Denmark, I had my kids. I had one. I had one daughter with me in one trip, and the other daughter on the other. And uh, so, and and I have a lot of triathlon friends from around the country. So it's been great. It's exercise. It's it's competition at its highest. And sometimes things really go well, and sometimes they don't. But it's it's all about the journey, and it's I've really enjoyed it. You have got a rich tapestry of uh, very eclectic sporting accomplishments, which is great. And what I want to do is I want to I want to transition with all of that grounding. I want to transition to a little bit of the now, and uh, and I want to talk about COVID and the situation. As we do that, I think it's important. Let's just go back to 2018, 2019, the last couple of years of life, and maybe just let this us know what your role is. And then, then, then what I want to hear is what your life is like, because you had extensive travel in your role. So just give us a, a quick snapshot of that. Well, um, I, I work for Northwestern Energy, which is a public utility, and it provides service in um, Montana, uh, South Dakota, Nebraska, Yellowstone National Park. And we're regulated in all of those jurisdictions, as well as Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. So when I moved to Montana to take uh, uh, to join Northwestern in 2010, I was general counsel, and I still am, and I'm responsible for the company's legal affairs. But over time, my role has expanded. So I'm now also in charge of all of regulatory affairs in all of our jurisdictions, including 
our federal um, matters at the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. And I'm also in charge of federal government affairs. So bottom line is, I'm on the road all the time. And I I have generated more than 100,000 miles on Delta alone last year. And so I have a lot of responsibility and I'm on the road all the time, whether it's by car or by plane. And so over the past couple of years, my training has had to become extremely disciplined. And, you know, the travel certainly, it was hard to, it's hard to do it with that amount of travel because maybe I'm away Tuesday through Thursday. I get home late on a Thursday night or maybe late on a Friday night. I need to get my four hour ride in on a Saturday followed by a 3,500 yard swim. And then, you know, if I'm still running, I have to get a run in. And to tell you the truth, I mean, there isn't enough time to pay any attention to things like strength training, stretching, all of the things that a, a person should be doing, whether they're a competitive athlete or not, but there just isn't time when, you know, I'm unpacking, packing, doing laundry, you know, washing, and, you know, and then packing became where, where, where am I staying next week? Does the gym have a spin bike? There was never a chance for a pool. And, you know, it, as a company, we're very careful about, you know, we try to, charge as little as possible to our customers. We didn't, and the result is, you know, we certainly don't stay at hotels with spin bikes either. So, you know, it takes a lot of footwork, you know, where is the closest gym? How, what are its hours? How do I reconcile that with my work responsibilities, et cetera? It's, it's extremely hectic. And, and you're obviously so accomplished professionally. So as you sort of navigate those challenges, well, how, how did you see, or how do you see now the role of, sport in your life you know not i've i've had i've given that a lot of thought because it's easy to be so busy that you don't think about the why it's easy to you know you're, you're flying you're in meetings you're packing you know you have a race in three months you have to get your training in and you know the pandemic and COVID, working at home not having access to pools for a long time uh, no races, no races this year, that's for sure. And who knows if we're going to have races next year. I have clarity about the role of athletics in my life now that I never had. I have, I realize to be, to be the best I can at my job, to be a happy person, to be what I want to be for my family and my friends, I need to be healthy, right? And being physically strong and physically fit and having friendships and that are you know part of the journey and in and collaborating with others is really really important to me and it gives me happiness and i have now realized because of because of covid it's not the racing while i like that and i hope it returns i'm looking forward to it it may not be for a long time but what's more important to me is being fit and healthy and happy and being and and the athletics are a critical part of that for me sounds like i'm uh, sounds like i'm listening to myself there heather it's uh i think it's it's great perspective and you know the interesting thing is many many people many athletes seldom take pause and actually come up and think about their why and i think that's so critical and if of all of the negative of what has happened over the last few months with for everyone with so many challenges and uh 
and, and frustrations and fears and everything else. But from an athletic standpoint and beyond, I think one of the elements that is positive is it has in many ways forced or allowed people to pause and really sort of get to the, the understanding of why they do things, which I think is, is so, so, of, so, so important. Let me go to, because we, you went through challenges, obviously you had races, as many people did, you were sheltered in home, uh, no traveling or interactions, obviously. Uh, so it, it was uh, obviously life changed for you dramatically in, in probably many of the ways that, that listeners did. But I want to dive into the meat and potatoes and I want to dive into the adaptation of the situation. So what did you do March, April, May up to now? What have you done to navigate the massive turbulence and change that that was the fog of COVID-19 coming down on us? First, I took advantage, I, and I am taking advantage of the time I have without races. And frankly, I mean, yeah, without races, I've, um, I'm working on my weaknesses. Uh, I have blown off core work and functional strength for a long, long time. That's unfortunate. And I think it's, it's, it's unfortunate for whether you're an athlete or not an athlete. If it, mm-hmm. I think it's essential for anybody and, and especially, frankly, as you get older. And so I have really benefited from all of the resources on the Purple Patch website um, and the live classes on functional strength and, and also the coaching. And I do something almost every day. And it's not epic or massive or time-consuming or requiring gym equipment. Um, it just it just doesn't take very long, but it has massive consequences, I think. So I've done that. Um, I've participated in virtual events, uh, and I still am. Uh, I'm doing what's called the Virtual Grand Slam Swimming, which is uh, every month. You know, May was 800-yard swim. June was probably 1,500. Uh, July was maybe 2,400. Next month, it's a 2.4-mile swim. It's just people doing it around the world. It doesn't matter how you do. It's just you're part of a community. And, and uh, But I've really, um, I've really become much more involved in Purple Patch and the live classes, especially your spin class. Uh, I've gotten, I mean, I've, <laughs> yeah, don't smile. I, <laughs> you're evil, Matt. <laughs> Every Tuesday morning, you're evil. <laughs> but, uh, but I've, uh, so, you know, I can't control races, but I retool, I, I'd say I've just retooled my physical fitness regime. Um, I've also done things like really focused on getting enough sleep. That's something you guys emphasize, and I think that's right. Um, I've committed to participating in virtual events because they're fun and they help maintain fitness. Uh, and uh, I'm, there's a lot more, I'm sure, but, um, oh, you know, so running, I, you know, I'm not a talented or skilled runner. And also, you know, I've got a little, a couple of little injuries probably related to all my traveling and my age and other things. I had stopped running year and a half, two years ago, but starting in December, I started walking and I started power walking and I started doing hill walking. And then I would run for a minute and walk for five. And I will say that I ran four and a half miles today. Wasn't uh, was it going to be any Olympic record? Trust me, but I enjoyed it, and that's really the key. I enjoyed it, and it's good for me. 
So I've, when I say worked on my weaknesses, that's one. Another one is open water swimming. I bet you I'm like most triathletes um, who don't have a swimming history. Uh, and, you know, we're not, we were not collegiate swimmers. Mm-hmm. You, you approach the swim part of a triathlon, you know, it's 10% of the race. Why bother spending too much time on open water swimming? You put your wetsuit on once or twice before the race and you hope for the best, right? Yeah. But I've been open water swimming every week and partly out of necessity because of lim- no pool accessibility or limited, but it's, I've, it's really been a game changer and I'm now focused on learning to be a good open water swimmer, siding better. And frankly, it's, it's just a wonderful part of my week. I, one morning this week, I got up at 4.45 and met my friends at a beautiful lake and we swam as the sun came over the mountains, she swam for an hour and I was back home for my, you know, 8.15 Zoom meeting. It was great. And I'm going tomorrow morning. It's a very different relationship with swimming, isn't it? Than like an indoor YMCA or something like that, where I, I remember having a, a, a wonderful professional athlete, but I, her weakness was very much swimming. And I said to her, she said, how am I ever going to improve? And I said, the first step to improving, there's two steps. Firstly, you have to commit to it. And secondly, you have to fall in love with the process. And it was only when she sort of gave herself, found a way to find the journey really fun that she actually really improved. And, uh, you know, I will say in a lake in Montana at late July, it doesn't get much better, does it? was pretty amazing does with not. friends. I, I, w- I want to hone in on something and uh, maybe it's a selfish question, but I want to talk about our live bike classes because one of the things that we did was, uh, was spin up very, very quickly, a thing that was always going to be a part of Purple Patch in the future, but these bi-directional coached live sessions. You grew up as a, as a bike racer. You've got this extensive experience. And, and you mentioned earlier, you said, I love those spin classes, as you call them. And uh, so, so what are the components? What are the main elements that have really helped you over the last few months? Uh, they're killers. Uh, but, <laughs> but, 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 okay. But I, you know, I, I, let me just, here's the bottom line. I call it, it needs to take place Tuesday mornings. And in my household, and I hope any listeners, I hope listeners don't take offense at this. But it's called Holy Tuesday. And so Monday night, I, I remind my husband that the next day is Holy Tuesday and that my charging needs for my lap, my iPad, my headphones take priority. So, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he, he understands how important it is, how important it is. And, uh, you know, so Tuesday morning, I, I, you know, make sure everything's in order. I, and, uh, and I always finish the class ecstatic because it's so much fun. And I will say, you know, I, I guess I have a little sensitivity maybe towards my age because I don't see anybody else. I, I'm wondering if I'm one of your older athletes. Maybe yes, maybe no. But I've always felt welcome. You've always made me feel welcome. And um, equally important is you've actually helped my cycling after all my years of cycling that the Olympic Training Center years of racing in an anchorage you're the one who in the spin class because you can see people on video will say um heather you need to pull up you're just pushing down on your pedal stroke or you'll say um you're pull your knees in 
And I, I know my lifting kind of splays out sometimes, but you seem to catch it. And I know you're, there are a lot of people in that class where you'll say, you're, relax your hands, move your hands out further. And I can already, I can tell you've improved my cycling. And so not only is it just a, a day, just a joyful thing, and I've always felt welcome. Uh, and it's part of a community uh, because you have people in that class around the world. And it's fun. I feel like I'm getting to know them. Um, but I've also learned a lot. So um, I, I love that class. And I've, I, you know, I've always put work ahead of everything. And I have now, this class is so important to me that I've actually gone to a couple people, I mean, my executive team and said, if there's any way to avoid a meeting, 8 to 9 a.m. on Tuesdays, mountain time, I'd really appreciate it. If I recognize it, I recognize what, we have a board meeting coming up next week. I, I, I can't move the board meeting, right? But I have, I have actually moved other meetings that I know are important and people are accommodating me and my absolute enthusiasm for your class. Well, it's, it's funny. I mean, you mentioned something. One, one of the, the two elements that I love about the class, and it's funny because we're, I'm obviously coaching it, but it's, it, it brings me something as well. And the, the, the couple of elements that I love is the fact that the demographic of the people in there, it's so broad. We've got pros in there. We've got very elite amateurs. We've got people that would never dream of participating in a triathlon. They just, you know, just love to ride their bikes or, um, or in fact, I've dragged them onto bicycles in some cases. And then we've got all ages. And the, the, the other component, which I think is synonymous or parallel to that is it's truly international. You've got Kansas, Long Island, Ecuador, Essex in England, and, and it creates this very strange shared experience. And it's particularly as we're going through this craziness of COVID where the whole world is navigating it and it's this sort of coming together. So, so I love, I'm going to leverage that name, Holy Tuesday and, uh, <laughs> fantastic. So, True. Uh, uh, before we sort of grandiose each other too much, let, let's, um, let, let's, I want to go to the lessons or silver linings of the whole experience of this COVID. Have you, I, I, I can tell, I was just about to say, I continually preach. I think your Holy Tuesdays has infected my brain, but so I'll go with it. I I preach that despite the adversity and negativity, almost everyone has the opportunity to find silver linings. So I'm really interested whether you have found any silver linings in this experience. I I have uh, lots. Um, Well, first of all, as I've discussed, it's helped frame the role of racing in my life. And is training all about racing? The answer is no. The training is about being healthy and being the best person I can be to my family, friends, and my coworkers, uh, and to live a happy life, right? I mean, this is a tough time to be happy. There are Mm -hmm. so many um, areas of very significant and justifiable discontent, and it's difficult and people are, I mean, I'm lucky I have a job, right? Lots of people don't have jobs. Um, but it's a tough time all around. And I look at the small businesses in Montana and are they going to make it or are they not? Uh, but I have the, the, the opportunity to sit back and think about racing and, and about Purple Patch and about my athletics has helped me understand how important being physically strong and healthy is it's also you know so that's number one 
I, it's reinforced the importance of fitness to of fitness to both physical and mental health. Um, I've, I'm taking better care of myself in terms of sleep. Uh, I have loved the collegiality and the collaboration and the shared experience of Purple Patch. And I feel as if I'm part of something and I'm learning a ton. And I can talk about that later, because, but I've now learned to not be disappointed if I have a slow run or an astonishingly slow swim, I don't feel like I'm a failure or something's wrong. The real question is, did I learn something? Did I enjoy myself? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like today on my run, I had a great time. I don't care how fast or slow I ran, but I had a good day. I ran for an hour, swam for an hour, and I feel great. Um, maybe I'm not as tired as you after your marathon and tr- true marathon. On the trail system and at altitude, <clears throat> but uh, those things are really important, and I I feel like I'm a happier person because I am t- I'm really taking care of myself, and I'm developing new friendships and new relationships, and I'm learning a lot about fitness that I really didn't know anything about. Well, you you uh, and I can't help to extend there, but I've t- I've talked a lot about high performance. There is one thing that comes through so strongly, which I think is in, in, in some ways the most inspirational thing about you. You have the strongest growth mindset and um, and I think a rich part of how you've been so successful across so many areas in your life is is that the thirst for learning. And at the, at the very heart of Purple Patch, it, it's the the thing that ties all of our athletes together and you, you, you know, ask the question, are you one of the older athletes? We have a really broad spectrum. We actually have multiple athletes well into their late seventies, but I've always said that for me, it's while I love coaching elite athletes and while there is a puzzle and a challenge about that, the thing that's really great is, is seeing people thrive across all elements of their life. And the common thread of everyone is the desire to improve. And you are the biggest endorsement of that I think I've ever interviewed. So so thank you for being a, a part of it. That sounded like the end of the interview. I've still got one or two more questions, but I, I just wanted to pause there and just say, wow, it's, um, it's terrific. So I, yeah, you, not too many people make me speechless, but, but you just have, um, I, I can't, I, I want to extend one thing that you said, because one of the frustrations as a coach I sometimes have is people's perception of coaching and many people tie their coaching experience solely to the training plan. Give me the workouts. I go and do it. End of story. Everything you've just said there you never talked about really the specific sessions. You talked about community. You talked about resources. So, you know, I don't want to stand up and say, hey, say rah, rah, rah for Purple Patch. But what are the elements of what we provide, knowing that education and community is so important to us? How have we, I'd love to know how we have been a resource for you. Oh, you know, I, I will say uh, that you're educate, you, on your website, one of your links is called Educational Hub. And underneath Educational Hub are in an incredible number of resources. And I haven't had time to uh, scratch the surface, really. But, for example, um, I've loved 
the online Zoom coach chats. I've, and those range from discussions about specific sports or, or elements of fitness or triathlon to nutrition. Um, the articles, the, the library that you have, uh, I, you know, I think there are 19 articles on swimming, seven more on swimming tools, even more on running, tons on bike technique, tons on functional strength. So I, there, you, have a, you, have a, you have a static library. By static, I mean it doesn't arise out of a live Zoom class. It's, you can read the materials and there are videos and the like. It, it's hard to describe all of what's there, but some t- there are live other than, you know, in, in addition to your live, your live bike class. Uh, on Holy Tuesday, uh, there are, for example, live functional strength classes. And those are great because I can do the functional strength classes, but it's when I do them live that the coach will say, you're doing this wrong, or why don't you try it this way? And that's great. Some of the other elements of of the education link uh, or education hub includes the podcasts and the speakers you bring in that are not purple patch employees or coaches. They're resources that are that, that you're aware of. For example, you've brought in a sports psychologist who just did two podcasts with you, and I've only had a chance to listen to half of one, but it's spellbinding. Uh, you've brought in people uh, to talk about um, muscle imbalance and what do you do if you know what do you do if your right leg is stronger than your left leg? You know, you, and you realize that when you do your functional strength classes, you, the, the difference between your strength in one leg or arm and the other is so apparent. So you've brought people in and you have live and, and you have live classes and you have podcasts. The amount of things I have learned and now can focus on and just be a stronger person. It's amazing. I mean, it's just, I, I, I all I can say is, Athletes and physical fitness enthusiasts have no idea what they're missing. Well, that's uh, that's very nice. We're we're happy to have you. I guess my 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 last quick question is, um, what's next for you, Heather? Where do we go from here? Oh, well, I'm going to continue. Um, I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing. Uh, I I did qualify for worlds uh, in the aqua bike. It's now Ironman distance. It's not going to happen this year. It was supposed to happen in the Netherlands in September. Ironman distance swim, Ironman distance bike. I was very, I was looking forward to that. I wanted to see how I could do, uh, but it's been postponed. So I'll go in 2021. So um, that's very important to me. I, I hope to. I might do some. I might return to some sprint or Olympic distance triathlons. We'll see. I also want to do some open water swim racing. Uh, I was supposed to swim across Lake Coeur d'Alene this year. Um, obviously that race was canceled, but I'm looking forward to doing it again. Uh, so we'll see, but I am going to race when racing returns and I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to it because I think I'm a better athlete now than I ever have been. And can we, can we lure you into the virtual challenges that we're launching towards the end of the year? Absolutely. They, and you know what I, I, if to, to people who are listening, if you have a chance to participate in virtual challenges, do it. They keep you going. They give you a goal. You get a sense of accomplishment. They keep you fit, and you're part of a group, and you're you're part of something. And it's it's community. And to tell you the truth, this is a tough era in our history, and community is really really important. 
and it's it it'll, it brings happiness to me and joy. It really does. Any last words of advice for people? There's a lot of people struggling. You've you've gone through a lot. You've shared so much. Any last words of advice? Yeah, I, I would. Yeah, I would say number one, don't go random in your fitness and think it doesn't matter because there aren't any races. It matters now more than ever. Take look at this through a long term lens. There will be races. There will be events. So get ready and take advantage of the time we all have now where we're not just trying to swim, bike, run, and get our yardage in, right? Work on the things that you know you always ignore, as we all do. Uh, and approach your athletic and your, and your fitness holistically. Think about sleep. And there's so much more to athletics than just yardage. It's sleep. It's nutrition. And I'll say meditation. I remember one of my first conversations with Purple Patch. One of the questions was, do you meditate? And I, I was pretty shocked by that question. You know, I thought we were talking about swimming, biking, running, right? But uh, I've, I've gotten with the program. I understand the role of it. And I understand how all of these things contribute to a healthier person. And I would say recognize that fitness is the foundation to physical and mental health. And you want to bring your best to your friends and your family and your coworkers. So I would say, let's, let's drive towards the future and let's just pick, pick some goals and stick with them. Consistency is critical and don't let it go right now. Now it's more important now than ever. Well, Heather, I absolutely loved it. Thank you so much for sharing. And thank you for your time and, uh, and your honesty and transparency you're a great athlete and you're, you're a wonderful person. So I really appreciate you being a part of Purple Patch and I very much enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Well, I want to thank you and Purple Patch because you've just been transformative for me in the past 10 months, but most important, probably most importantly, the last six, you forced me to step back and think about a lot of things and I have direction and I have goals and I also have a whole lot of fun participating. That's the key. Thank you very much. Take care. Wowdy doody guys, what a conversation. The best part about that is the vast majority of that story I really didn't know as we were talking. And Heather was just so open, transparent, and full of so much insight. I hope that Heather rubs off on you a little bit, helps your performance journey. I hope you lean into the growth mindset that she has, her pursuit of excellence across so many aspects. And of course, underneath it all, this unbelievable satiable desire to experience so much fun. Now we would leave it here, but last week we didn't talk about Peter. And so let's finish with the Peter minute. Silence guys does not mean despair. That is what Peter has taught me this week. Quietly going about his business he conquered. He has crept into consistency. He's built his volume. Just this week, he cracked 20 very hilly miles in the run. Precious resilience, all needed for his event he trains for as yet unnamed on an unknown date. And it all adds up to one thing, hope. Yes, hope. I'm beginning to have hope. Eight weeks in, and the storm of Peter Fitness is brewing. And that is it for the Peter Bennett. And that is the show. Stay tuned and see you next week. 
because the key markers of performance for 2020 is the theme du jour next week. Yes, this year isn't done and we have a big mission to collectively drive towards the rest of the year and I'm going to guide you on how to do it. Mission, direction, purpose and accomplishment. That is going to be my rallying call for the rest of this year. Troops, have a good one. It was a pleasure. See you next time. Take care. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. If you like what you hear, would really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate and review the show. The Apple Podcast link is in the show notes. Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Cheers!